I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. The cannabis industry is absolutely exploding. The U.S. legal cannabis market was valued at $11.9 billion in 2018, and globally, the market is expected to be worth $66.3 billion by the end of 2025. Studies show 62% of Americans now favor legalizing marijuana. In fact, cannabis has made its way into the mainstream market. Carl's Jr. offered the Rocky Mountain High Cheeseburger Delight, a CBD-infused burger. Walgreens, Sprout, CBS, Ulta Beauty, GNC, and Urban Outfitters are just a handful of retailers offering or looking to offer CBD products to consumers. Interestingly, because business cannot be conducted over state lines without risk of felony charge for trafficking, dispensaries and growing operations must be maintained within state. In areas with weather constraints, this results in an increase in industrial renovation and construction. In Denver, where nearly $2.5 billion in new construction was underway in May 2016, an estimated 4 million acres of growth space helped generate at least $253 million in new state revenue in 2015. This is Spaces Podcast, where we aim to elevate the appreciation and understanding of the spaces we occupy every day. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Michelle. Hey, everyone. And this is Jason. What's up, guys? And you're listening to Spaces Podcast. Thank you for coming back, everyone. Uh, if you haven't done so already, 
please uh, subscribe, like, comment. Uh, we need all the support we can get. That keeps the show growing, and we appreciate you guys listening. Today, we are discussing cannabis facilities. I'm hungry. <laughs> need a snack. So for those that don't uh, have been under a rock and don't know, marijuana facilities are is a very, very quickly growing uh, industry. I don't know if you guys are aware, Jason and Michelle, um, we have 11 states now that have um, legalized marijuana. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with the amount of states. I know they all just like the income coming from them. So yeah. I think it's only a matter of time before it just goes everywhere. Yeah. Um, Can I first say, I feel very important for me to say this. Okay. Okay. I have never, nor do I ever plan to do marijuana. Okay. I just I just feel it necessary to say that because okay. if somebody's listening to this thinking like, hey, I thought like I still have not. Can and you I still do never marijuana to. or do you smoke consume it, consume marijuana. it, whatever, what, utilize. Do is the right verb. How about utilize? In, like whatever. Body. Like we can. Yes. <laughs> All of those things I do not. <laughs> so however you want to phrase it. Um, so anyway. I okay. I needed to say a disclaimer. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh purely, and we're we're gonna we're not gonna get into the political debate of it. Uh, this is purely. Yeah, Jason, just... <laughs> we're not getting into the political debate. That's fair. <laughs> we're just... just making a statement. You can debate it if you want. <laughs> I'll just we're, sit here quiet. <laughs> we're talking more Maybe about not. the the space and the design and all the the things that go into uh, you know what you have to consider when you get into this project. So, digging into this. 2018, the industry brought in $11.9 billion. Jeez. Uh, so this is... A freaking weed. Yeah. Let's tax that. Yeah. So... so. Th- <laughs> Oops, sorry. We weren't supposed to get into political <laughs> conversation. No. Oh, it's getting taxed. No. So so that's why this is growing so quickly because yeah. people have figured getting out how money. much money there is to be ha- uh, grabbed, basically. So you have politicians now that have completely flipped and they're like... We need to get this. I in. can pad my freaking pension. However, <laughs> let me just do a, a quick sidebar yeah. because we are saying yes, it's a it's a humongous revenue generator, so to speak, right? Uh, and you could tax it. However, I think it's also creating quite the underground because it's being taxed, and so to the extent you can sell it, uh, not on market. Yeah, like it had been for so many other years. Is yeah. that referring to? <laughs> It's just creating a pretty significant gap, I think, between um, what's being sold legally and what's being sold illegally. Yeah. I don't think I really understand what you're referring to on that. I'll be I, honest. I think, I think we, I think we're too close to really have um, substantial evidence of the comparison. I would say, um, prior uh, of numbers prior to, I don't, and I don't even think we'll ever really have a strong factual evidence of what it was prior to and after but some some big news that has occurred since all of this legalization uh the u.s drug regulators have uh approved the first marijuana-based pharmaceutical to treat children of uh, certain forms of epilepsy see i think i think this is where i have a lot of desire for them to utilize product you know what i mean Mm -hmm. because yeah, I come from this whole idea of balance. You know what I mean? Light, dark, good, evil, all that kind of fun stuff. So if there's a disease out there, there's something that God's created somewhere, I think. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? To be able to balance that. Mm-hmm. And because we've been so 
societally scared of doing things like that or looking at things properly as opposed to recreationally. Mm-hmm. If there, there's tons of studies that show how much these things can help, and it's no different than other plant-based Absolutely. drugs. I think it's important, you know, for us to actually look at that because who are we to deny some of these people relief if there's really no side effects? And I can't speak to any of that. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, I really, really can't. But those I appreciate are things, your open-mindedness on that, but, Jason. But those are the things that I get excited about. You know what I mean? Those are the things that I want to see more of. Yeah. You know what I mean? And understand what that truly looks like. You know, so that that stuff I get excited about because. Yeah, and there's a big push in the athletic world um, as opposed to getting shot in the knees and joints or whatever with these I'm all for all that because I did all drugs. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so as opposed, in lieu of getting those shots, those yeah. injections, uh, their argument, a lot of athletes' arguments is marijuana has, uh, it can reduce some of the inflammation, inflammation yeah. and, and pain that they deal with on a constant basis so you don't get addicted to these you know really tough right. pharmaceutical right. drugs um and then you can kind of you know supplement that with this cash or replace that with this um, potentially right yeah, yeah. so yeah. um yeah so th- this is see i can't be open-minded uh, <laughs> i appreciate it i really do <laughs> so as some things to consider uh with Right now, we're at this weird point where uh, federally it's illegal still, but on a state level, uh, so many states have passed these laws to approve it. But it makes this weird dichotomy or weird uh, gray area where it makes it difficult for businesses to gain legal advice and to actually get financing and have some bank services. Um, And that plays a role into design, actually. Um, and then difficulties getting insurance for certain services that they, or certain claims that they may have to put in. So before we get, uh, completely into this to understand more about it, you got to go back in time. Sometime between 10,000 and 12,000 BC, cannabis, one of the first plant species to be grown in a controlled manner by humans, is being cultivated on the island of Taiwan. Evolving throughout Central Asia, hemp fiber from the plant was used for rope, clothing, paper, and sails, and its seeds were used as food. It later evolved for medicinal use. By 3000 BC, cannabis is utilized in Northern Europe for cordage and its psychoactive properties. It's introduced to Egypt in 1550 BC and used for recreation in Greece in the 4th century BC. Then European colonists brought it to the Americas. Initially used for textiles and rope in the American colonies, this variation of cannabis had very low levels of THC. In the 1830s, a U.S. doctor studying in India found that cannabis extracts could help lessen stomach pain and vomiting in people suffering from the often fatal disease cholera. THC lessened nausea and promoted hunger, but it also had psychoactive properties. By the late 1800s, cannabis extracts, like opiates and cocaine, were freely available at drugstores. With difficulty distinguishing between medicinal and recreational use, Congress passed the Pure Food and Drug Act in 1906, requiring cannabis and other herbal products to be accurately labeled. 
During the Mexican Revolution, Mexican immigrants came to America for refuge. However, the timing of the historic unemployment and social unrest of the Great Depression fueled resentment towards them. Simultaneously, the rise of suggestive jazz music and its associated black culture made white Americans uneasy. Enters Harry Anslinger, the first commissioner of the U.S. Treasury Department's Federal Bureau of Narcotics, who would take on cannabis. Some critics suggest his true motive was business, and elimination of the hemp industry helped his interests in synthetic materials. Nevertheless, Anslinger utilized race and fear to sway public opinion on cannabis. Mexican immigrants were believed to have introduced recreational use of cannabis to American culture, so Anslinger referred to cannabis as marijuana, a more Spanish-sounding word to be associated with Mexicans. He is quoted saying, There are 100,000 total marijuana smokers in the U.S., and most are Negroes, Hispanics, Filipinos, and entertainers. Their satanic music, jazz, and swing result from marijuana use. The marijuana causes white women to seek sexual relations with Negroes, entertainers, and any others. In another statement, he explained, quote, Reefer makes darkies think they're as good as white men, end quote. Anti-narcotics campaigns sensationalized stories about the threats of narcotics and depicted cannabis as a drug of murder, torture, and hideous cruelty. By 1931, 26 states had passed laws prohibiting it. The Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 was the first federal U.S. law to criminalize marijuana nationwide, taxing the sale, possession, or transfer of all hemp products and criminalizing all but industrial use. The last U.S. hemp fields were planted in 1957 in Wisconsin. Views of drugs changed in the mid-1960s due to reports of college students smoking marijuana. Journalists nor legislators had an interest in locking up America's best and brightest for what they increasingly considered a trivial offense. Even Anslinger conceded that criminal penalties for youthful marijuana use was too severe. Oddly, while public perception changed, the number of state-level marijuana arrests increased tenfold between 1965 and 1970. Keep in mind, the 50s through the 70s were a tumultuous time where America was amidst the Civil Rights Movement and the Vietnam War. In 1968, President Richard Nixon promised to restore law and order to a nation jolted by riots, protests, and assassinations. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage a new all-out offensive. He declared a war against drug abuse. Fundamentally, it is essential for the American people to be alerted to this danger, to recognize that it is a danger that will not pass with the passing of the war in Vietnam, which has brought to our attention the fact that a number of young Americans have become addicts as they serve abroad, whether in Vietnam or Europe or other places. Because the problem existed before we became involved in Vietnam, it will continue to exist afterwards, and that is why this offensive deals 
with the problem there in Europe, but will then go on to deal with the problem throughout America. The Controlled Substances Act of 1970 repealed the Marijuana Tax Act and listed marijuana along with heroin, LSD, and ecstasy as high potential for abuse. This act loosened penalties for some kinds of drug violations while expanding the powers of law enforcement. However, in an interview for Harper's Magazine, John Ehrlichman, a former White House aide and Watergate co-conspirator, later shared Nixon's intent of the drug war, explaining, quote, The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. End quote. The war on drugs had unintended consequences as hydroponic cultivation technology achieved significant advancements at the same time. Hydroponic cultivation, which dates back to 600 BC, is a technique of growing plants without soil. While cannabis plants are sun and warmth loving, the advent of powerful high intensity discharge lighting paired with hydroponic cultivation jump started the indoor grown marijuana industry. Federal stance on cannabis flipped, with President Jimmy Carter calling for the decriminalization of marijuana in 1977, then back again with President Ronald Reagan opposing decriminalization through the 80s. This period had the formation of the Drug Abuse Resistance Education, or D.A.R.E. program, and the well-known public service announcement. Is there anyone out there who still isn't clear about what doing drugs does? Okay, last time. This is your brain. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Prompted largely by fear over a rise in crack cocaine, Congress passed three punitive pieces of anti-drug legislation during the 1980s. The DEA launched Operation Green Merchant in 1989, raiding growers and suppliers of hydroponic systems, but the arrests and harassment drove the industry further underground, unintentionally spawning further advancements in security and efficiency. Under President Bill Clinton, 22 states and the federal government passed the Three Strikes Laws, which mandated stiff prison sentences for a person convicted of a third felony, effectively making simple possession of marijuana dire, no matter the situation. While black Americans consumed cannabis at a nearly identical rate as white Americans, they are nearly four times more likely to be arrested because of it. Although public views on cannabis began to shift in the 1960s, including a report from the National Commission on Marijuana and Drug Abuse in 1972, which recommended partial prohibition and lower penalties for possession of small amounts of marijuana, the decades of harsh drug policies and targeted implementation contributed to the U.S. prison population boom 
from 200,000 people in the 1960s to 2.2 million in 2016, with a large percentage of the population being Black and Hispanic. Reports and advocacy addressing policing, the prison system, and national drug policies have slowly illuminated concerns nationally, leading many to reevaluate their stance on such issues. California passed the Compassionate Use Act of 1996, becoming the first state to legalize marijuana for medicinal use by people with severe or chronic illnesses. Today, 62% of Americans now favor legalizing marijuana, and 30 states have legalized its use in some form. Since, the advancements and consistency of indoor growing has led to an increase in industrial renovation and construction for growth facilities and renovation for dispensaries. Design and construction companies are now providing design build, construction management, security infrastructure and planning, and permitting and compliance services to cannabis businesses. Electrical and mechanical systems are the biggest operational costs and one of the most important considerations. I'd have to visit the site, kind of evaluate what the electrical system is, how much power you have, and then now we can kind of evaluate based on the loads that you have, if you have enough power. This is Anthony Winston III, engineer and owner of Winston Engineering. His company provides mechanical, electrical, and plumbing services for residential, commercial, and cannabis facilities. And then we can figure out a plan to either scale back or figure out a way to get it upgraded because upgrades are not always possible depending on where you are. In our conversation, Anthony highlighted some of the complexities of this project type on the MEP side. The most complex part is when a client does not want to scale back. <laughs> so now we have to get really creative with controls um, and cycling rooms on and off depending on the time of day. And sometimes that's not in terms of the finances, that's not the best path that the growers want to take. But if, you know, sometimes we're stuck doing that. Um, other issues are if you move into a really old building, they have uh, typically now in new systems, you'll have 208 three phase or 480 volt three phase. Older systems, sometimes you'll have 240 volt three phase and they have what's called a stinger leg. So you have three voltages. And if, if things aren't done correctly or you have an electrician who doesn't know what they're doing, you can burn out equipment pretty easily if you're connecting to the wrong voltage. I don't know if we want to talk about this. On the HVAC side, depending on how old your building is, now you have to deal with insulation. And then also, if you have a really old roof, you can't put condensing units on the roof. Um, otherwise, you'll have to do what's called a seismic retrofit, which is very expensive. Cannabis has a very distinct smell. Venting is critical. You're talking about venting is... Uh, the smell, so obviously getting the proper carbon filters and things like that because the city or, city or county ordinances will, will require that anyway. <clears throat> when it comes to HVAC, you have your blowers, you have your condenser, which provides the cold air. Um, all you're essentially doing is where the air, um, I'm sorry, where the return escapes the building, you're inserting a carbon filter. They have filters, they have all, uh, this vendor approached me and it's some product where it actually kills the bacteria that lands on the grapes. Um, in terms of, of mold, and these are just things that we've learned, you know, lessons learned from projects that we've heard from growers um, and going to different conferences is that when you have a lot of duct runs within the, um, 
the cultivation space, it's a that's a lot of surface area for mold to, to grow. Um, so you have to kind of be aware of that and, and limit the ductwork that's actually going into the space. We also talked about a project of his where a requirement to provide an accessible restroom was missed and the chain reaction that it caused throughout the rest of the project. Now we had to eliminate lights. Um, HVAC tonnage had to be recalculated. Um, I believe we had to specify a different HVAC, which that then affects the electrical load. So now you're changing circuits, you're changing panel schedules, which is a roadmap for the electrician to say, hey, this circuit goes here, the circuit goes there. And at the very bottom, we calculate the total load. So it, it affects everything. So that, that's why it's really critical that you have an architect who really knows what they're doing because they're going to be the quarterback that sets the tone. Any other uh, thoughts, things that you would want to get across to people? Pretty much just, just do your due diligence. Don't don't sign a lease until you, you've you done everything. You've, you've met with your architect, your general contractor, your electrical engineer. Stop putting your trust in electricians because there are a lot of electricians out there who aren't licensed, who can, you know, install some wire and pipe. But a licensed electrician can think a lot further, you know, 10 steps ahead of what they're going to they're going to come across. Cannabis business is risky. It's estimated that 80 percent of projects fail in the first two years. Half never get a license. The other half fail due to design and build out problems. This new industry is rapidly evolving, and with it, designers and builders must evolve to understand the new complexities that will be introduced into the built environment. Okay, so now we got a little bit of an understanding of where we've come from. Let's dig into kind of, let's sort of dissect this whole conversation into the different types. There's three different types of, uh, of facilities. So you have what most people probably think of initially as the, the retail, retail space mm-hmm. that you go to. Then you have the dispensary or the, the dispensary is the retail space. Mm-hmm. Then you have the grow facility and then the extraction facility or infusion facility is the last one. So starting with the dispensary, um, I was curious, have you guys worked, uh, done work for retail spaces? You may have. Retail space? Like yeah. for, for this type, for this category? N- not for this. Retail specific. spaces, yeah. And, and Or commercial retail. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, you know, when you do, Michelle, have you you've done just, are you just on a residential side? Have you have commercial? We are just residential. We actually do have commercial. We have mixed use, yeah. both vertically integrated and horizontally integrated. And as far as vertically integrated, um, a dispensary would not be a conforming use underneath the residential units yeah. that we're building, at least not in the cities that we are in. And what's interesting is I actually have a retail uh, ground floor mixed-use building, mm-hmm. and it is in a city that has approved um, dispensaries and and I think actually even facilities, uh, growing facilities within their city. Mm-hmm. But that you're putting a dispensary in the ground floor retail space is not Going allowed. To <laughs> it's yeah. not a permitted use. Um but just which generally. is a little unfortunate because I actually think it would be a really, really good use based on the fact that dispensaries actually are 
uh, if anyone has that's listening has been to one, they actually are very cool spaces. They're places that oftentimes resemble coffee shops and places that you'd want to sit and hang out in and they're designed like really c- cool. Have you ever been in like a cigar lounge? I'm wondering if it's yes, similar. Yes, they're very similar okay. to cigar lounges, but maybe a little more hip, um, hip and modern and, yep, and urban, if you cool. will. At least the ones I've been to. Yeah, the cigar um, lounge is very... Because I know a cigar old, lounge, old and stuffy kind yeah. of environment. Well, that's what I'm just curious. Yeah. But I mean, there's a lot of like lounge space, big couch, it's, big chair. Yes, you know, yes. like kind of everybody's hanging around. You know, that kind of deal. Yeah. Because um, I have been there. Yeah. <laughs> I have been the, other one, so. the one difference though is the dispensary is not so between the difference between a cigar lounge and a dispensary. The dispensary is not somewhere where you could sit and smoke or have a, you. You basically are just picking up the product. Got it. But in terms of just kind of a comforting. A, Comforting may not be the right word, but it's a inviting. place. It's yeah, it's an inviting environment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know if some dispensaries allow you to smoke or not. I'm not quite sure how they do that. I'm curious because because I think you can still be, you know, you go and you smoke a couple cigars. You could argue whether or not you're going to feel something from that, but um, with marijuana, you, you could be under the influence. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you've got a whole nother, you know issue to deal with in that so regard coming back to your insurances and stuff like yeah. that right so just like a bar back. you know what i'm saying like there's you know so it's it's kind of like you can almost parallel those you know what i mean yeah um so are you taking an uber to the dispensary <laughs> and back you know yeah. or whatever it is or you know um but i, I mean i can't speak to because i haven't been to, to any of those yeah there's massive signs when i go down the road of where they're at but uh, yeah you know where where i was going with it though um on the you know experience of a commercial um or retail experience. Uh, one of the big things that I know you guys know and uh, our listeners that are involved in that, one of the big things is uh, accessibility. Sure. Uh, and that actually plays a role here because, like I mentioned earlier, with the bank services, what happens is these dispensaries end up being um, a cash business because they can't accept checks and um credit cards and all that stuff or if they do accept credit cards the uh fee that they charge is 15 to 20 percent yeah because they're Seriously? i think yeah because they're banking internationally in mm-hmm. that situation so they're accepting a credit card but it's an international transaction or something to that effect i may not have that exact detail but i know for example in oregon you could at the dispensary i went to you could pay with a credit card mm. but it, you were paying 15 to 20 percent in addition wow. to what mm. you're your purchase was yeah what is the reasoning behind all that though again i think it's because it's it's not a it's not a well no it's not a united states transaction yeah Um, and that's because it's not legally federally so Uh, banks it's not that federal banks won't accept payment yeah so it makes it very complicated for them so they so a lot of them become cash businesses and if you have a lot of cash on hand security is scary paramount um and when you have, you know, magnetic doors and automatic doors and uh, all these things, all the security uh, elements begin to infringe on accessibility because sure. when you get into a retail space, uh, someone that's uh, in a wheelchair or, or impaired or whatever in some sort of way, they need to have, uh, what is it, 40? 48 inches clear. 44. Uh, 44 clear all the way, you know, through a put. A path oh, for a hall. Yeah, okay. Yeah, for the walk Sorry, space. I'm looking at different. I'm thinking kitchens in my head. So, <laughs> yeah. for the uh, clear path all the way through. <clears throat> um, so, if you have all these automatic doors and like that, 
infringes also, special doors yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that makes adds a complication. So some uh, municipalities have started to work, and because again, this is a, a growing industry, brand new industry everybody's trying to figure, figure it out, out as we go. So some municipalities, and I, I won't go into detail because I think it varies per municipality. They've handled it in different ways. So if you are considering it, check with your local municipality. Um, they may have uh, specifics about how to handle this situation. Um, but they're starting to develop uh, different laws to help mitigate uh, that conflict between security and accessibility. Um hmm. So definitely look into that a little bit more if you are considering doing this project uh, as a as an owner or as a designer uh, contractor. Man, that, I mean, honestly, that sounds like a huge opportunity. Like if you got really good at understanding the regulations and stuff as a contractor. Yeah. And you could market to doing that. Yeah. I mean, that's a big opportunity. Yeah. And it's it's a very uh, valuable service for this industry because it's it's evolving and growing by a turnkey too you know what i mean yeah uh because when i was as we got into doing our research for this i got more and more afraid like if someone were to come <laughs> to me and say uh i want you to build I want this you for to, me yeah, yeah i want you to design a facility for me i was like after, after reading this i was thinking there's so many potholes that you can run into uh, just be unless you know what you're doing. Because as we go through this, you'll see there's a lot to consider uh, that when I initially thought about marijuana facilities, it's like, oh, that's pretty easy. It's just some plants and, you know, it's not not that big of a deal. But as you dig into it more and more, it's it's you have to you have to know what you're talking about and you have to have a good team of uh electrical mechanical engineers that know what they're talking about and know what they're doing to make sure this space works on the topic of just dispensaries though it's interesting that a dispensary is any different than just a pharmacy right and and part of the reason for that right now and why there are so many challenges is sort of the the legal versus not legal and there's still a lot of ambiguity around what the laws are in any given city, county, state, um, and even federally, right? So if you're traveling from Oregon, where it is legal, to Texas, where I don't think it's legal, can uh, you? No. Yeah. yeah, can you can you travel? Like if you're leaving Texas and the marijuana that you brought into Texas, and now you're leaving Texas with still some marijuana, does that get taken from you? Do you get in trouble if you are? caught holding that uh, yeah. no, but there's some places right? you can't so, even go across the line with like an orange so right I well, like... yeah. so i but it's just an interesting thought that you know really what we're talking about a dispensary is a pharmacy yeah but it's a pharmacy with a lot of stigma around it yeah so that's that's the big hurdle is the stigma and once you know once we national i don't know if we'll ever nationally get over it but um you know once that hurdle is kind of climbed in I think a lot of this will start to evolve a lot faster. Uh, the conversation of how to handle this uh, legally and, and code-wise will uh, be able to evolve a lot faster. Like Denver right now is kind of leading the way code-wise. They're setting a lot of precedent as far as how they're handling issues. They've actually uh, established an occupancy for um, which I'll transition into grow facilities. Uh, they've actually established a code occupancy for grow facilities 
because initially you would uh, sort of instinctually you would think a grow facility is like a greenhouse right mm-hmm. um but because of the electrical loads that are required um the amount of people that are in there is very different than what a greenhouse uh would be so greenhouses are usually a, a u occupancy so it's like a a very low occupancy uh more storage than right. people being in there so they've completely shifted uh kind of the, or established the thinking of what this is and they call it a f1 occupancy which has a lot of specific uh, uh requirements but i won't outline you know every single element to that but um just for everyone to know that's kind of what they have established as the occupancy and i think people will start to take that and when somebody of, creates something they'll yeah. kind of make some slight changes to make it their own but yeah they're, they're probably generally yeah. going to be established as a f1 before we get too far into the grow facility because i think that's a really interesting space when you start to think about the nuisance to neighboring uses and nuisance is a huge and word the, the nuisance to even the people that are working within that grow facility and mm-hmm. the risks that they are exposed to through different gases and such yeah um, but before we get there i, I do want to go back real quick to just the dispensaries um for anyone that's not been in in a dispensary and, and jason it sounds like you've not been in one before nope <laughs> uh demetrius have you uh yes that means yes right there that means yes <laughs> what, it's I'm either t- a solid no or it's a uh, how do i deliver this <laughs> no no i'm you trying to remember, remember. yeah so, i don't i don't think i've actually been in no i have i have i have okay so like i said <laughs> what i wanted to say though is that uh, i i want to be really clear that it's not as though you just walk into a retail space and you've got marijuana and edibles and everything else at your fingertips really what happens is in a lot of ways it feels almost like you're going to a doctor's office so you'll enter into a room or a hallway of sorts yeah and then you'll go up to a window Mm -hmm. um, at least the three or four that i've been to in my time and you'll go up to the window and when you're at that window they will ask for your driver's license they typically if i recall correctly take a photo of Mm -hmm. you um, and then you are actually entered into a database. So there is record that you've attended. And then they actually hold you until they have space or room in the retail facility or mm-hmm. the retail dispensary for you to actually go in. So they'll call you in with mm-hmm. your group if you're there with friends. Yeah. And then so it's kind of a very controlled environment. It's not as though people are just coming and going as they please. Yeah. When, um, uh, when about was this that you went to one? So, Saturday. no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, truthfully, I'm actually not a recreational marijuana user. Well, I don't really use marijuana at all, but um, just don't, for fun. Don't, or really? No, no, I really don't. I, I wouldn't even know where to buy it Sorry, in California. Sorry, I'll stop cross-examining yeah. you. <laughs> you, you, um, you, don't, the, the you don't have a time, guy. Well, the first time we went actually was on a weekend trip right after it became legal in Colorado. Oh, so okay. when, what year was that? 2013, maybe? 14? Probably. It's sounds, been several years. Sounds about and right. And so that was the very first time. And what I actually found to be the most fascinating about that is the people that were in the dispensary were not young people. No, they man. were yeah. baby boomers that looked yeah. like our parents. I yeah. kid you not. Yeah. They, no, they looked agree. like like <laughs> any one of our parents. We're not the talking. Hippies. No, we're not talking hippies. <laughs> we're talking like just average people that you would. I mean, just yeah. 
average moms and dads. Like huh. honestly, it was it was really it's, really fascinating. The, the funny thing is, the whole stigma behind it is everybody's always thinks like drug use is youth and all that kind of stuff. It's actually not that way. Mm-hmm. It's far more because they can't afford it. Like people don't understand. Like they usually can't afford to do this. The people that have the disposable income are the ones that are usually going and doing those things. Mm-hmm. So it's just funny because I've heard the same thing like multiple times. Yeah. So the other facility um, that I re- very much remember was in Portland, Oregon, and that was one where it was such a cool environment. I mean, mm-hmm. it it almost felt like it could have won an, a design award. Wow. Yeah. It just cool. it felt really cool. The materials that they were using the the plants that they were using, just their branding, um, all of it was just really, really neat. Was that around the same time? Or no, like, um... Um, that would have been probably 2016. Okay. Again, and... right after Oregon had approved it, which I don't know, maybe 16 or 17. Yeah. So the reason I ask is because when I, the I think I've only been to one and it was in Canada actually. And it was a similar, you know, process to enter where you know you enter in a database and it was a medical it was a medical marijuana facility um so when you go through that process that's what it is the screening for medical purposes um and i was curious if that's what that was if it was more of a medical uh facility and that's why they do that process because i haven't been into one you know since it's been fully legal oh no both of these were recreational they were not medical places it was more i think to control who's coming and going okay um and it ties back to i think the security conversation yeah now i guess we could all go on a field trip i know that there is a (laughs) grow facility not a grow facility sorry a dispensary uh right off of the 55 freeway it's like the peoples or something Um, because yes and again oh yeah correct and again if you look at the way that they've branded themselves isn't that an inviting logo it it looks looks really cool no it's all neon and and it just i think it looks so you know what's interesting about that place i've seen that place for a long period of time before it became a dispensary the people's seed or the people's market or the people's something or that something like that but prior to that uh dispensary opening it was just like a a furniture kind of art store furniture and art store and they yep. had that tree there yep. the entire time that, like white no, looking well thing, it's right? actually been a dispensary for quite a while yeah. but oh, really? prior yeah. to yeah, it, it becoming a recreational it was a medical and so oh. you could go there with a medical license but okay. it was very much underground underground maybe is not the right word but just not branded in the same way that it's branded today i mean if you drive down the 55 freeway yeah. as you're heading towards the coast you cannot miss it and in, in 55 yeah. freeway in california yeah you can't miss it yeah there's because of the it's way a, they branded it's a glass it. box right on the corner which faces the freeway and there's this artistic uh base of a tree and the roots are kind of spreading out that's uh hung from you know uh like fishing line so it looks like this the base of the tree is just floating in space and the entire glass box is lit up with green neon lights so when you're driving down the road this you cannot miss it at night it just glows (laughs) yeah (laughs) jason's so disturbed (laughs) um so let's jump back uh to the growing facility and one of the things that I was going to mention, uh, Michelle, it's called People's OC. Sorry to interrupt you, but I feel like we should something. give it we should give it its proper recognition. Yeah, uh, go on. So with the growing facility, as you were talking about, you know, kind of a cool environment where you hang out. I don't know if you guys heard, but Mike Tyson, he opened. Uh, he's opening. I don't think it's open yet. He's opening Tyson 
what is it? Tyson Ranch. Yeah, Tyson Ranch. So this is a 20-acre farm in, uh, we mentioned this location before, California City, yeah. uh, in one of our old episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he has a 20-acre farm in California City where it's going to be a growing facility, retail, and resort where you can hang out and just like check in for the week. And... It's like a winery type scenario. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's So it's like a, a winery with marijuana. So, so this is kind of where we're going, uh, where, you know, it, it's joining the, the ranks of, uh, alcohol and, and that's, and, and look, I'm not for that stuff. I'm just not, and somebody's gonna have to change my mind at some point, you know what <laughs> I mean? Which is okay. And I think, and I've already stated, like, I think there's uses for these types of things, right? Yeah. But if we're going to be completely realistic, alcohol is legal and it's the number one peddled drug there is. Yeah. You know what I mean? So no matter what anybody wants to say, mm-hmm. it's a drug. Yeah. And it is legalized. People make money off of it. The government makes money off of it. So it's like, let's let's at least be willing to recognize the fact yeah. that it exists in different forms. You yeah. know what I mean? So. Yeah. Um, and people aren't drinking wine because they like grape juice. <laughs> Just so we're clear. <laughs> like, like, let's be honest. And it's, you know what I mean? Welch's is killer. Everybody yeah. digs it. But <laughs> it's not the same. It's far from Welch's. <laughs> um, so, yeah, when you get into these growing facilities, like like uh, Michelle started to mention one of the things, the nuisance that you have to consider for people that are in the facility as well as neighboring uh, residents. When you get into the facility, it has a lot of equipment that has to deal because one of the, the two biggest things are uh, ventilation and electricity. Mm-hmm. So to manage all of that was well, a plant. Yeah. So to yeah. manage all of the, the CO2 gases and, and everything, you have to have these, uh, systems that will prevent there's, there's actual asphyxiation, asphyxiation, uh, hazard. So you have to ventilate the space to get all of this air out on top of that. These facilities, there's a lot of humidity, um, because aren't most of them done with like hydroponics? Yeah. 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 Right? So, okay. Yeah. So you have to have a certain temperature and humidity uh, to help the plants grow. And with that, obviously, you have concerns for mold. Sure. <laughs> so uh, if you are a building owner and someone comes to you to rent a space that's going to be turned into a growing facility, if you if it's permitted, that's one thing you have to consider is that, you know, this process can wreak havoc on a building that is not designed for this this process so you have to consult with someone that can either upgrade the the the, the shell of the building to handle this um or you can't you i mean it's it it will destroy your building well and there's and there's a couple things to consider like i know mold had become like the biggest scariest thing like in the construction industry like 10 years ago right mm-hmm. Mold is in your house. Like, let's just, like, be super clear about this. Mm-hmm. Everywhere you are, there's mold, okay? And it just needs three things. It needs a food source. Mm-hmm. It needs moisture. And it needs air, oxygen, yeah. right? So as long as you eliminate one of those things in some form, so with either construction materials not having something to feed upon, mm-hmm. right, in the walls and that type of stuff, or the proper balance of air or the, lim- you know, the limit- limitation of humidity, you're good. So it can be done and it can easily be done, but it just, you can't just walk into any other building, I think is what you're trying to say and just expect to be able to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that environment, uh, the temperature and, uh, the moisture in the air, it, 
the mold is targeting those food sources right. so it starts to you know right. attack the insulation right. the drywall even your structural system can start to get can start to deteriorate sure. from from those uh from that environment sure. uh so you have to really be cautious about you know uh bringing in this type of process and make sure that you're upgraded to handle that so on top of that like i mentioned you have all of these gases that you uh need to be concerned about and then there's different processes that different ways to handle the gas because some some don't allow like open butane uh which is one process uh so they have another one that's a um what do you call it uh, it's a compressed liquefied version of uh co2 and when they have these specific processes like the compressed liquefied co2 it has to be moved to a separate uh room or contained in a separate room and with that room has to be on its own um Climate. well its own co2 detector okay uh in case of a leak sure so there's a lot to consider when you're when you're dealing with that and then going back to the the nuisance problem in general you have to you know have certain vit- uh, ventilation that prevents it from annoying your neighbors uh, so it will vent the room and then basically mask that smell um, so that it doesn't bother other people. <laughs> Mostly related to skunk-like odors, right? Like just the smell of yeah, the grow. Of, yeah. The other thing that to think about, too, with the facilities, similar to the dispensary, so most of the time you see dispensaries in kind of industrial areas, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, facilities, though, also probably more often than not warehouse-like spaces. Yeah. But in terms of the security around a warehouse-like facility where they are literally growing plant after plant after plant mm-hmm. um, in large in large quantities, mm-hmm. I question the security around that facility. And does that bring additional risk to neighbors, um, whether they're businesses or mm. maybe even if you had residential adjacent to you know, a light industrial area that had a grow facility. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the effects of that? It's, I think it's an interesting thing to look at. Yeah. And I think, cause you know, when you put, uh, when they're considering putting a, uh, liquor store into a new area, they have to consult with the police department and there's a certain radius that they have okay. to look at. Uh, there can't be another liquor store within 500 yards or something. Mm-hmm. And okay. it can't be near a school. Um, and this, let me preface that by saying there's certain cities that are more stringent and <laughs> adhere to these rules. In my head, I'm going, I've seen like four liquor stores <laughs> in like a corner. Yeah, yeah. than to other areas. So like in a <clears throat> in a lot of uh, uh, low income areas, they don't have these sort of stringent rules. They don't, sure. you know, check. So you end up with a liquor store in every corner, sure. sort of deal. So I'm curious if we've gotten to a point, which I'm sure they are going to at some point, is start to dig into that radius and understanding yeah i think right now that radius is so big (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) just by geographically because there's not that many around they probably haven't had that issue you know what i mean but as it becomes more and more accepted is probably the proper term Mm -hmm. um i think you'll start to see that yeah and then another element when you look at the grow facility and the warehouse space to maximize their output people are now going vertical with their growth so now cities have to consider, do we change the occupancy again to accommodate 
this vertical nature because they're using the in in a warehouse you have the height uh so now they have to figure out how to um classify that yeah classify that vertical growth and and uh, occupancy uh in these spaces yeah i mean with that comes all sorts of other things for building too i mean because now you have things that are flammable and all that kind of stuff going higher and higher which Mm -hmm. means different systems you know what i mean i don't know if sprinkler systems work because hydroponics if it's gonna have to be a foam basis you know all sorts of stuff the other yeah for sure and they as we talk about you know going vertically to increase the number of plants that are being grown one of the things that we read um is that there are in some of these larger facilities up to 100 employees and you kind of think a facility well wow they're just growing plants there's not that many people there but but the reality is there's they're there. There's a lot of, of employees and people that are actually in that facility. So you have parking requirements, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that the facility is not just an eight to five type of operation, that you actually could have employees there around the clock. Yeah. Again, coming taking that into account as to where is that located? What does that space look like? Is it well lit? How is it secured? Secure? How is there security around it? Oh, it's it? well lit. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, which is actually so. <laughs> so, and that makes me. Th- you're, you're exactly right because there is a very, very high electrical requirement, right, to, yeah. for these facilities. And so then I, I ask, well, are they doing anything yet to? You know, we're talking about all natural. You know, are are there solar considerations? Are there facilities that are using solar? Yeah. Is is solar not enough to, to actually i'm thinking they're... in the room right now we got somebody that can find the land we got somebody that can draw it i can figure out how to build it <laughs> let's just blueprint the son of a gun and just roll man <laughs> i'm just saying <laughs> so so i i think they're too early you guys can take your fees however you will i'll take it in cash though <laughs> off the record <laughs> It'll be hard to know whether the uh, product we produce is any good, though, Jason, if you're the operations guy and have never smoked. <laughs> I'll, 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 as the operations guy, I think you don't want me smoking it. You guys can. You can dream something up. You can think big over here, and then I got to be the one that's dialed in. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, On that note of uh, electricity, they're saying that these light bulbs are operating at a thousand watts each they drain yeah yeah um i think they're probably too early in this industry to have switched to considering uh a net zero type of facility or or uh energy conservation they're just trying to you know get their legs and and get the product out um but i'm sure that's probably on the horizon of starting to evolve into uh you know a more efficient uh, growing facility but it's a m- massive uh drain electricity wise i actually have a friend that works for um an electric provider that said they're actually getting a lot of pressure from uh because the grid can't handle this yet uh... and they're actually getting a lot of pressure from government in these states where uh that's interesting where it's legal they're getting pressure from the government to figure it out and get the grid into a uh, into a sustainable dynamic for that stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah. In, into yeah, basically being able to handle yeah. this industry. Wow, because there's a lot of money to be had to be made. <laughs> so money drives it all. Yeah, so uh, so it's an interesting dynamic where now you got government pushing on electric companies to figure it out at all costs. Do we have any idea how much water? it takes and just 
how is the water? Is it, is it just going through pipes within a facility, or is there some other sprinkler system that? I think hydro, hydroponics is usually They're like a drip system, right? Drip systems in tubs because the the plants literally grow in water. Okay. So I I learned about this, no joke, like the hydroponic portion of it, yeah. like last week. Oh, really? Because of a buddy of mine who can basically do anything, and um and he built he built the systems for a buddy of his that was doing hydroponics, right? Okay. And so they literally grow in water. It's almost like from what was described to me, and I apologize if this is not correct, but from what was described to me, it was like almost like the plants are on like little like floating islands inside mm. of these things. So they're grown in water, not soil. Mm. Um, so, so it's not a consistent flow of no, water. But, but what you're dealing with, just like your ventilation, all that kind of stuff, the filter systems for the water, because now you've got a whole other element that you have to you know keep clean. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And one of the reasons why, you know, you can go to different areas is because you can put all these tubs together and and run it all, you know, with pumps and everything else because yeah. it, that's the other thing that you have to incorporate into these. And that was another thing that I forgot uh to mention is uh floor drains yeah. with all of this water and water spillage. Yeah. Uh you have to have floor drains, you it's know. All got to be sloped, it's all got to be run. And then the other thing too, mm-hmm. you can't just run this, it's got to go through the sewer system because it can't be yeah, so these drains have to be screened to yep. catch uh, Silt, plant, plant particles yep. uh, so that the water is not contaminated that goes into the sewer system. Yep. Uh, Swips. So, yeah, so it's a, a lot to consider. Yeah, it's a lot of maintenance. And the fines when you don't do those things correctly are massive. Yeah. Like, it, they're no joke. Yeah. So now the last one is the, the infusion or... Um, extraction sort of facility and that's where the thc is pulled out of the plant and uh used to create edible brownies and (laughs) suckers and (laughs) all sorts of other things well it's oils and lotions and yeah and and then that as well yeah the vapes and um yeah (laughs) the vapes so it's actually (laughs) taking the product from just the bud to actually saying hey what other forms can a consumable product of some sort yeah a consumable product that's not just can, smoking. Can I can I honestly like I want to display how like much I don't know about this. <laughs> Everybody talks about hemp, like making things out of hemp. How is that related? <sighs> is it not is it not at all? It is related. Okay. But because it's like clothes and all sorts of stuff at this point. Yeah. Um so. I just did a quick Wikipedia. Yes. Yeah. Jason, your question is, is clearly stumped uh, yeah. all of us. So <laughs> hemp or industrial hemp typically found in the northern hemisphere is a strain of the cannabis sativa plant species that is grown specifically for the industrial uses of its derived products, um, fastest growing plants. And you're right. It's been refined into a lot of different commercial yeah. items that yeah. are legal. I mean, yeah. so you see it in clothing, you see yeah. it in biodegradable plastics, paint, yeah. insulation, biofuel, food. At, like everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's why. Okay. Um, and let's just go to, because I was giving Jason a, a little sativa versus indica um, <laughs> definition, and the way that I remember it is sativa is is a high. So when people say I'm going to get high, they're smoking sativa. And I remember this because indica is, in my mind, I say indicouch which is, uh, you know, stoned. So if you're going to use indica, hmm. you're stoned. If you're going to use sativa, and they're just different strains of the marijuana plant. I'll file that one away. Thank you. <laughs> just in case, Great definitions. But <laughs> just in case you're wondering. Just in case any of our just listeners are as naive as Jason is when it comes to marijuana. <laughs> I'm right there with you. So, uh, so in this extraction process for 
for the uh, extraction extraction facility, open butane is the the cheapest way to process the plant. Uh, open butane flames, which uh, it's the most cost effective way, but it because of the open flame, obviously that's going to trigger concerns for fire mm-hmm. uh, fire safety and gas. Yeah, gas emission too. Yeah, so um, so there's a lot of uh, considerations, and I I doubt fire departments even want you to do it. So there's probably a lot of red tape to get through to to have to have that process available to you. The other option people do is a uh, cycles of butane in a closed loop system. So this butane kind of cycles through the plant within a, a contained system. Uh, it's like to, an oven. Yeah. Essentially. Sort of. I mean, that's kind of, you know, just really simple, like picture painting. It's like an oven. Sort of. I think so. I haven't seen this system, so I don't know 100%. But the problem is that the, there's no what we call UL listed or mm-hmm. uh, so that's just like a testing uh, branch that, that usually tests certain equipment. Provides credibility. Basically. Yeah. So it yeah. provides credibility to certain equipment and most jurisdictions will permit that particular equipment because some agency has already tested it and make sure right. that it's not going to blow up on you. Standards. Yeah. yeah. But this type of equipment is not UL listed. Uh, so you have to have a engineer sort of study and design and stamp and approve the system to get it approved. Oof. So that's another process to, <laughs> to have to think about. A lot of liability about. on that side for that guy. Yeah. Obviously, then you have all of the hazards that come along with that and the potential of butane escaping, um, as well as uh, the fire systems that you have to have or um, life safety systems you have to have involved. We mentioned it a few times is CO2 detectors, uh, obviously fire systems and um, uh, those type of protections to, you know, safeguard. When you really start to talk about the butane, I, there were, I, just one of the facts that we had read in kind of our research was there were 32 different explosions in Colorado yeah. um, in one single year that were all butane-related, fire-related, mm-hmm. um, obviously fire-related. But yeah. just, uh, so there's you know there's a lot of risks associated with this, but I think we're also in a in a learning curve right now, and we're trying to kind of get up to speed and, and cities and municipalities and, you know, decision makers within those cities and municipalities are, are got a lot in front of them to consider. Yeah. So I think it's an industry that's, I would be safe to say is probably going to stick around. Oh um, yeah. Because there's so much money. There's money to be made. Yeah. For sure. Um, n- now we just oh. have to catch up on the uh, legality wa- uh, side and, uh, the code side of how to make and, sure it's safe for everybody. Yeah, and the property tax too, I'm curious about, you know, so how does, cities always want so desperately to have auto dealerships, right? Because the property tax that comes from those, or it's not property tax, sorry, the sales tax sales that tax. comes from that. So, um, excuse me, I didn't ever mean to say property tax, I meant to say sales tax. <laughs> right. The sales tax that comes from the sale of marijuana, mm-hmm. um, or if you're growing marijuana, is there is there some sort of sales tax that's attributed there when you're selling it in, mm-hmm. you know, to in mass to whoever it is that's actually creating the product mm-hmm. and getting it to the dispensary or the retailer. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the answers to these questions. It's just things that I think about Yeah, on this topic. 
we'll wrap up the conversation for now. But before we go, we want to play a little game. And I'm going to win. And a surprise for you guys. This game is sponsored. For the first time, we got a, sponsor. a sponsor. Yeah. Self a sponsor? Yes. Who we got? Frito Lay? Cheetos? <laughs> <laughs> that would make sense. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Yeah, I, and then I just, you can't laugh me in softball like that. That's not fair. <laughs> I wish we had someone like that. That would be, uh. That Dude, would that be... would be the sickest sponsor for a show like that, though. Oh, jeez. Uh, no, no, we didn't get Frito Lay or Cheeto. Or <laughs> Cheeto's part of Frito Lay, but whatever. Or, right. Yeah. My fault. <laughs> Um, no, so our spon- cool. our sponsor is uh, Lift Gift, and I will fill Lift this- Gift? Lift Gift. Yeah. Lift Gift? Yeah, because you okay. get high, oh, lift, Oh, okay. Gift. So I was just crapping on somebody, like this whole episode that's sponsoring us, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> so they actually, uh, they actually sell, uh, what is it, CBD. Okay. So it's a little bit different, um, and I'll explain a little and bit CBD more. is all over the place right now. I don't know what it is. CBD but... is an oil, correct? Uh, so it's it's a natu- uh, naturally occurring compound that's found in the cannabis plant. This is one of the, uh, the things that a lot of athletes are pushing is mm-hmm. the CBD. That's what I'm saying. I'm seeing it everywhere. But LiftGif uh, carries a wide range of products from highly reputable brands. Reputable? <laughs> reputable highly, brands. Highly reputable brands uh, in the CBD industry. The offerings include a variety of administration methods, edible drinks, topical solutions, and even products formulated for pets. Uh, LiftGif has partnered with reputable brands that perform lab tests on their products. Uh, these tests ensure against purity and quality, and in fact, many of the brands are operated by licensed pharmacists. Right on. You can use the code SPACES at checkout. S-P-A-C-E-S. Um, I think we get like a 15% discount for our right listeners. Uh, if you want to check them out, it's Lift Gift, and that's L-I-F-T-G-I-F-T dot com. Lift Gift gift.com <laughs> awesome thank you so uh so they're sponsoring this game that we're gonna play oh, okay uh so we'll we'll do uh we'll do three questions question one what is the safest way to use marijuana one not <laughs> and their <laughs> options are one a bong with ice and cold water two vaporizer Three, a joint or blunt in natural wraps. Uh, four, direct consumption, eating marijuana products. Or five, smoking pipes. Oh my god, I have no idea. I'm going to say filter through ice and water. I'm going to say three, uh, joint or blunt in natural wraps. Direct consumption. Oh. Eating it is the safest or healthiest I, option. Gosh, I really don't think that is the correct answer. <laughs> um, and here's why. An edible takes several hours for it to actually it's not impact and for Hold you on. to actually feel something. Hold on, doesn't mean it's not safe. No, because the problem is eating it, then you eat too much, and then the next thing you know, you're completely out of your mind. <laughs> no, I don't. Like, I know none of that. 
Like legitimately know none of that. What is the reason so I'll take your words why for it, that would be the safest way? And who's who well, what is this reference? Who's, who's actually I think Michelle's utilized this far more than this, she's leading on to right now. Marijuana, this is in like a hot spot, man. This is marijuanagames.org. <laughs> Very credible, I'm sure. Is it legal to use possess uh, loot to use or possess marijuana in Jamaica for recreational purposes. Come on. <laughs> no. No, it can't be. No, marijuana is no. not legal. Yes, marijuana is legal. Or three, it is legal in some areas of the country. I'm going to say no. You said no. I'm saying no as well. It is illegal to use, possess, buy, sell, or transport, transport marijuana in Jamaica, according to U.S. Department huh. of State. So you guys both got that. Can smoking pot regularly lead to cancer? Yes. Yes, smoking pot has been linked to cancer. No, there's no link between smoking pot and the developing cancer. Or there are insufficient studies research to make an accurate determination. Oh, crap. It's going to be the last one. Three. The last one. What was your answer? That's what I said. It's going to be the last one. Yeah. There are not enough studies. I said both uh, first, so I went. We are the champions. <laughs> like together? I think that Dude. happened last time we did one. Yeah, you guys always uh, answer the same. She follows me. Smart uh, choice. Wait, Jason. No, 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 no. He originally said one. Yes, linked to cancer. And then when he read the last one, you're right. And I was like, oh, it's going to be that one. <laughs> because they're all indecisive people that are smoking oh, this stuff. I don't know about <laughs> okay. this. So we'll do one last one to break the tie. Okay. And it's first person who answers. Uh, yes. But you have to buzz by saying your name. Okay. Why does using marijuana cause an increased appetite? One, dilates blood vessels leading to increased call for energy or hunger. Two, activates CB1 rep receptors and regulates insulin. Three, stimulates subconscious memories of food and eating. Or four, marijuana use causes dehydration that is misinterpreted by the body as hunger. Man, your name is your buzzer. Yeah. I'll say Jason. I'm going to go with four. Michelle, you want to give an answer just, uh, just in case? One. Yeah, Dilates be, blood I vessels agree. leading it's, to it's increased either one of those. energy. All right. Marijuana insulin. regulates insulin. Man, we both suck. All right. Wow. Oh, That's no. a little too much science for me. So neither got it right. So you'll have to live with the tithe today. All right. I feel good about that. That's fine. She went to SC. I'm good. <laughs> Jason's a winner every day. <laughs> All uh, right. That was a very interesting episode. Yeah. So <laughs> I learned a lot about my fellow uh, uh, podcasters here. <laughs> podcasters. There you go. My point exactly. <laughs> Thank you again to Anthony Winston III for joining me and providing his insight into mechanical, electrical, and plumbing services for cannabis facilities. You can find out more information at winstonengineeringllc.com. That's W-I-N-S-T-O-N engineeringllc.com. And thank you again for hanging out with us. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And while you're there, please rate, like the show, and forward a link to your friend. Your support is the only way that the show grows. 
don't forget to check out spacespodcast.com for more info. But before you go, next time on Spaces Podcast. There are key elements that we need to focus on in the building industry, and it's air leakage. We need to reduce the amount of air leakage that leaves our house. So it's just the ceiling of the house, insulation, weather, weather stripping, all that type of stuff, right? And flashing, proper flashing. flashing. Yeah. Um, so air sealing is kind of like the biggest factor for us because if you have a bunch of conditioned air going into the home, but you have a bunch of air leakages, yeah. all of that conditioned air is leak- leaving the home. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.